Good morning. Oh, wow, so much better than last week. That's so good. Progress. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm half kidding. Well, welcome. And welcome to those online. I, I know so many from, from three areas specifically. I mean, Nigeria is one, but the, the three areas you wouldn't expect, I want to welcome. I want to welcome Kenya, those from Kenya, those from Pakistan, and those from India that I hear from every week. And thank you. Thank you. And before we get started, I'm just going to pray, invite the Holy Spirit, because y'all don't want to hear from me anyway. I want to sit with you, and I want to hear, hear from him. So let's pray. Father, we worship you, we praise you, we love you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you that you did not just leave your creation to die when it was given away, but you ransomed it. You paid the dearest price so that we could maintain a choice. A choice to love you. A choice to say yes to you. A choice to have relationship with you, not just freedom from fire, but real relationship, real love, real joy. I thank you, Father, that nothing could defeat that. Nothing can take away our choice. You yourself have said you will never take away our choice. So when we offer our yes and we offer our love, it is from our hearts. And I know that it is sweet to you. Change the paradigms of our minds to really understand the depths that you desire of that relationship. Because there's no end to it. It will never end. It will never plateau unless we choose to plateau it because there are depths of you that will never be found even in all eternity there is always something new so we worship you and I pray that you fill my mouth with your Holy Spirit speak through me your words not my own for we desire to hear from you. I give you my hands and my feet. I give you my will. I give you my mouth, my mind. I give you everything to use as you see fit. It is yours. All I ask in return, as all of us do, is that we get you. 
and you more intimately. We love you, Lord, and thank you and praise you and are confident of your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I was sitting with the Lord this morning, and so many things run through my mind. And, and I said from the beginning of Ignition, now for, for those of you who weren't here at the beginning, it began as a college ministry. And it began in a transition time in my life. When God was opening up my understanding and my walk with Him to His voice. And I've shared this many times. Prior to that, you know, I I heard His voice. I just did not know what that meant. Right? I didn't think that God speaks the way He speaks or used to speak in, in the Old Testament. But God rocked me and said, no, it's time to open up your understanding. And it's a little hard to deny when God manifests in front of you and speaks. It's a little hard to deny. Right? He, he, he said that things needed to change and, and relationship with Him was real. But in that transition, there was so much that I had to unlearn. I'll call it baggage, whatever you want to call it. We all have it. But things that you have to unlearn, these paradigms that you learned your whole life about who God is, what He does, how He operates, what he, how He works. So there was, there was a lot that I had to work through. And I made a promise to those college students at that time, and I've carried that promise through to today. And that is, whatever I am going through in terms of paradigm change, in terms of understanding, in terms of what God is doing in my life, I will show it on my sleeve. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to keep it to keep a, a, a face like I know everything. Guys, guess what? I don't. Now, I know a whole lot more than I knew eight years ago. But I don't know everything, neither do you. That's why God called it a mystery. Because He reveals His mystery piece by piece. But the reason why... I wanted to be open with everybody is because I knew that, especially back in those college days, they were going through the same transition I was. They were seeking as hard as I was. They were wanting the Lord's perfect just as much as I did. And so in my vulnerability... It could be a help. It could be something that perhaps allows them to understand that I wasn't the answer. I'm not the answer now. 
Jesus is the answer. Seeking Him is the answer. Intimacy with Him, relationship with Him, that's the answer. That's the answer for you. That's the answer for me. It's never changed. And I don't know about you, but I find myself, and, and as we go through the, through the last eight years, I have noticed a trend. And may, maybe that's what time and age allows you to kind of begin to notice. Although, although be careful, don't put those trends in as law. Right? But the Lord does work in mysterious ways. Sometimes as we press into Him, we start to see patterns of how He works. One, for instance, which kind of stinks, bottom line, is when you say yes, that yes is applied immediately, but what happens? Your yes is tested. Your word is tested. You know, if we say something, Satan has a right to test it. There was a word said about Job, that he is, there's none, none more righteous on the earth. And look what happened. I mean, I I would dare say there is no one that has been tested like Job. Lost everything, including all his children. And effectively his wife, when she said, just go die. Right? He lost everything. And even though there was some groaning there toward the end, he said, I will not fail in my trust and my belief. And, and truly, where I think his questioning was, was not with God. His questioning, perhaps, was with his own understanding of what was going on. And man, we do that every day. God, I, I, I know you're righteous. I know you're right. But, okay, if, if I'm the one who can fail, then, then where am I failing? Why, am I, why is this happening? You know, why are your promises not here yet? Why are they not manifest yet? Why am I not healed yet? Why have I not seen healing yet? Why have I not seen your victory? Why in the world is Joe Biden still in the White House? Sorry, that slipped. But it's true. It's true. I mean, we have been given a lot of promises. And, and even more so, by the way, at ignition than most any other in the bride. God has made us privy to things that after a while we kind of take for granted, like everybody knows these. Like He has told everybody these, but He hasn't. He's given us a responsibility in that to steward it. To steward what? Nothing's happened yet. To steward the faith. To steward the faith of it. Because it's that stewardship of faith that brings about the manifestation. Because there's a price to pay. And in in God's kingdom, there is only one thing of value, if you will. His currency, which is faith. There's nothing that is more precious to Him than our faith than our choice to trust Him when we don't see the pathway to trusting Him. Right? That's what salvation is. 
accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, recognizing that, yeah, I, I, I don't want to go to hell. And there's an offer to me to accept Jesus as my Messiah, as my Savior. I don't even know what that means. I can't see him. But I believe it. Why? Because somewhere in my heart, deep down in my spirit, there is already belief. And it's taking that shred of belief and working it into a faith in this realm. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. That's why you don't see many that are in the front lines of that faith. Now, you can immerse yourself in circles that do, and we do. We hear prophets all over the world that say much of the same thing. And I, I find it interesting how, how the Lord will tell us things, and then a few months later we'll hear all the prophets start start to speak it. But when you really look at the entire globe and the entire bride, that is such a small percentage. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to carry the faith of something you haven't seen yet. Especially when what he has said is so out of the box of what we generally know. I mean, that's hard. And one of the first things God did eight years ago was begin to teach what it looks like to understand the real reality. And we've talked about this. The real reality in looking at this room, it isn't three dimensions of a building. The real reality is in all the dimensions in which God exists. That's the real reality. You can't look and, and see, oh, well, there's the Holy Spirit right over there. Oh, there's Jesus right over there. Unless you're looking in his realm. Unless you're looking in his kingdom. Unless you understand the real reality. Otherwise, we're really blinded. We're blinded by this physical flesh that was born in sin. Right? It's, it's, it's fallen flesh. That's the truth of it. Fallen flesh that has been redeemed. But part of that redemption is opening our eyes to his kingdom. So I talked about trends, and one thing I've noticed is when God would say things, and he'd say them over and over and over again. Then right before something happened, I noticed this time of silence. Not silence in personal relationship, but silence in telling us some new things. I don't know about you. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that recently. It just dawned on me this week. When I'm asking the Lord for Okay, Lord, Lord, give me more then. Give me more. Tell me more about this. And, and there's no response. And he's like, no, no, let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about our relationship. 
I'm like, Lord, our relationship's good. I want to know what's coming. And he becomes silent on it. Why? Because he wants our faith to rest in what he has said. And rest in him. He wants us to believe. So even this morning, I'm, I'm just like dumbfounded as to, you know, I'm, I'm sitting before him this morning and, and, and worshiping him and, and just waiting for this download of stuff so I could share with you this morning. And it wasn't there. And it wasn't for lack of talking. He was talking to me, just sharing about life. Just talking about different things. Not regurgitating the same promises that we've been holding on to and telling more depth about those. And I have a feeling it's because the manifestation is upon us of many of these things. I trust in that. But the truth is, His timing's perfect. His timing's perfect. And it's hard to think that way when you're laid out in bed and you can't move because of pain. It's hard to think that way when your daughter is throwing up every 15 minutes violently for two days. I've never seen that before. It's hard to think that you're on the cusp of that when these things are hitting so heavy. It's hard to think that, that in moments, in moments, our government could be flipped upside down and completely changed. And yet that's exactly what God said is going to happen. And he doesn't need three months to do it. He doesn't need a week to do it. I mean, I know we, we fall back and say he can do it in a day. Honestly, he can do it in a moment. I don't even know what that looks like. You know, I, I mean, you look at how things can change over moments. It, 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 I was doing some work in our kitchen and there was a movie on, what, what was it called, Day After Tomorrow? Okay, you know that movie where where it has this hurricane supposedly in the winter and freezes everything and everybody dies and and all the helicopters fall down out of the sky? Now, I'm not saying that's prophetic, by the way. But what I am saying is things changed in a moment. I remember one of the lines in there in the movie was the vice president, because the president had died, the vice president is literally giving a word, his his speech, from a new capital in a foreign land in Mexico. And I thought, that was just after, it was like a day or two days. See, God could change anything. I mean, look look at what he did to the world in a moment when the rain started back in Noah's day. He could change anything. 
And what he has said is that change is coming, but for a different reason. See, back in Noah's day, change came because of the depravity of man. Because of the depravity of what had come through Satan's seed. That's not what it is today. Don't don't think it is like Noah's day where it said, Jesus will come again as in the days of Noah were. Okay, don't, don't assume that it's because of the depravity of man that Jesus will come and change everything again. That's not it. That may apply to when he comes after the tribulation. But I can tell you that's not the case right now. He is coming because it is the grand culmination of his mystery, his bride. And there is a remnant of his bride that is crying out and has been crying out for a long time. And he will not ignore his love. He won't. He hears. He hears what we go through every day. He feels the pain that we feel. He even understands the confusion. He understands those difficulties. He understands all that. It says in Matthew 6.33, He knows all of those things already. He wants us just to believe. He wants us to just trust. He needs us to know and believe and declare and operate in His kingdom being here. Man, what a foreign thought. I mean, I grew up for 40 years. Being saved for 40 years. I I was saved at 9 years old. And being saved for 40 years, I had no concept of what it meant for His kingdom to be here. But for the last 9 or 10 years, He began to open my eyes to see that His kingdom is not about it coming. It's about the fact that it's here. And by the way, it's been here a long time. You know what? Turn, turn to Matthew. I think it's, hold on, I think it's chapter 12. Yeah, turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to begin at verse 22. And you're probably all familiar with this, this story, but actually this section is, is more known for the last part of it. But I want to bring out the first part of it. Matthew twelve twenty two says this. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Right? In other words, they were wondering, Is this the one that we've been expecting? The Messiah who would come... But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, 
it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. <laughs> I, I, I just... It makes me laugh, laugh because in today's vernacular, when, when Jesus heard that, it'd be like, oh, no, you didn't. I'm going to tell you what it is. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. And here's the verse I want you to get. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's already come upon you. There was a distinct difference from the Old Testament to the New. And it, and it happened in Jesus. But what He did in being filled with the Holy Spirit was He had a tool to fight the enemy that had control over that part of the kingdom. It wasn't that heaven now came to earth. (laughs) Clearly, that's not the case. But what it was, was His kingdom was made available to His bride, speaking forward. What is that kingdom? Well, that kingdom is the spirit realm. That kingdom is where God dwells, where the Holy Spirit dwells. But prior in the Old Testament, remember, the Holy Spirit wasn't here. The Holy Spirit was given through specific anointing to the prophets, to a couple of others. But the Holy Spirit was not given in measure until Jesus ascended back to heaven. That's when he said, trust me, you want me to go, because when I do, the Father will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So technically, the kingdom of God was brought here and made manifest back when Jesus Christ was on the earth. He had access to it. He had access to fight in it. When he saw this demon-oppressed man, this demon-possessed man, he, he was able to fight what was oppressing him. You didn't see that in the Old Testament, by the way. In the Old Testament, demonic spirits were only taken care of out of the law, because that's all that applied. You didn't see someone casting out a demonic spirit from somebody else. That's why it was so unique with Jesus. And Jesus, upon His baptism, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus had this fighting tool. This fighting tool to go against the enemy because the enemy had taken over a kingdom 
that he was not supposed to take over. He was given a right to it, given an authority to it by Adam. But that was never God's intent, ever. And he has called his bride, this grand mystery, he has called his bride to be warriors in that kingdom. So understand that as we see it today, it is not just about you know, the, the authorities in America or the authorities in Nigeria, the authorities in some other country. It's not just about changing them for something a little bit better. That's, what, that's not what this war is. This war is about changing everything because it's God's kingdom. Everything. I mean, we've talked in the past about how him readying his bride parallels what Jesus will do for the nation of Israel. There are many parallels to that. There are many, many parallels to the tribulation period that is this resurgence of the Holy Spirit that is fighting the enemy that literally and ultimately defeats the enemy. That's what happens in the seven-year tribulation period. That's why so many people think we're in the tribulation now, but we're not. We are in a parallel time frame of that, if you will, or, or if you look at what God is going to do in the tribulation for Israel's sake, there is a parallel to what He is doing in this world for His bride's sake. And we've talked about this many times. You can look at the parallels of that. Because if you want to go from the end to the beginning, you look at Israel and what does He promise them? A thousand year reign over the earth. Complete reign over the earth. Literally reigned by Jesus Christ. A righteous reign over the earth. Not something that is a reign by people where they can be fallible, but literally an infallible king. That's what Israel has been promised. That's what Israel rejected. God's only chosen people. Chosen out of the nations that He had given away rejected Him as Messiah. And so really what was birthed at that point that Paul talks about in Ephesians is this grand mystery. And the mystery is His bride. What was the purpose of His bride? Was it just to make Israel jealous, as it says in Romans 11.11? No. His bride was to be the essence of a relationship with his children. That relationship that was lost with Adam was to be restored through his bride. 
Jesus did not die for the whole world. He died to give the whole world a choice. But he never forces that choice. Rest assured, it is those who accept him as Savior are the ones that are his bride. And it was literally, it says in Ephesians, to bring a peace between Israel and the Gentile. To, it says, stop the hostility between them. So in that, what he promised Israel is still there, will still happen. All of it will happen. But now literally, as it says in Romans eleven eleven, to make Israel jealous, he will show what his intention was if Israel would not have rejected him. His intention is relationship. His intention is rulership through that relationship. And we've talked about this many times. That's what he's going to do. Revelation 3.9, where it says that the world will come and, and literally pay homage. It says, bow at the feet, pay homage, have respect for the church. You mean the church by name, like, like you mean the Catholic church? You mean the, the Baptist church? You mean the Presbyterian church? No. I mean the real church. The church that is not just some church by name. The church that their banner is relationship with Jesus Christ. The real bride. To literally pay homage to them, to show respect and recognizing that God loves them. What an extraordinary thought. That's what's happening. So don't think that all these things going crazy on this earth are out of the depravity of man. Depravity's been here for a long time. If that's the case, then God's late. But He's not. It's just... Not that He ignored it before, because He didn't. But... I just feel in my heart that he hears our cries, the cries of his remnant, and he is just not going to wait any longer. In fact, I almost wonder if he thinks, man, this, I've had to wait too long. His kingdom came 2,000 years ago. So what's the difference? I, I, I can't say out of experience because I haven't lived for 2,000 years. I can read history. I can give experience for the last, you know, 59 years or 58 years. And the reality is, I think God was waiting for an army to rise up to recognize that God is not the only one in his kingdom. But there are squatters. There are spirits that are here that originally came here by authority, but that authority was shattered 2,000 years ago. And he's trying to get his, his bride, his remnant, to understand that 
He's not going to knock them off the land without being partnered with us. Because we offer something very precious to him in that process, and that process is faith. So I think his remnant, the reason why I think it's different now is I think his remnant is really starting to understand the battlefield, starting to understand that each individual has a responsibility. Not just to be part of a church and then, well, the leadership of the church has that responsibility. No, it's every single person. Every single one of his remnant. It's our responsibility to be on that battlefield. Just like Jesus did just there. Recognizing that it's kind of like, what would you do? If you went home after church today and you found some people in your living room watching TV, eating your food, and just kind of hanging out. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. We'd probably have the gambit of responses here, but I know many in here, you know, have guns. I, 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 I would dare say I don't, you know, I, I don't think the outcome would be that good for those people. Why is this any different? These demonic spirits are in your home. They're in God's home. You're his child. Why are you afraid to take up arms? Don't be. Because there are those of us that will take up arms even for the rest of the bride because the bride doesn't even see the kingdom. Don't even recognize the warfare. They're just sitting back and, well, you know, if God's will to do it, he'll do it. He'll do it. Yeah, I'm just going to sit back and kind of wait. That's not what he wants. Everything God does, you look at it in Scripture, everything he does is in partnership with his children. Because it's all for the purpose of relationship. All of it. That's his goal with all of it. But I'm telling you, he is raising up this army to take back everything. And we have to understand, because sometimes it's easy to be a warrior, and then sometimes it's hard to know where to point the gun. Right? Am I right? Sometimes it's like you can't see an enemy, so you're, you know, what, what do you do? Well, maybe if you have a machine gun, you just like this. But what if you have a rifle? Yeah, you, you, you waste all your ammunition just shooting into the darkness. Sometimes the Lord says to wait because he's about to reveal the enemy. I think that's much of what's going on right now. Now, I, I think the manifestation of the enemy is pretty easy to see. We see that all over. We, we see, oh, I mean, it just makes me sick when, when I hear public officials that clearly hate God when they quote Scripture. 
and twist scripture. There, there is nothing more appalling to me. I, I, I absolutely hate it. But see, they're not necessarily the enemy. They could be. But there is something behind them that is more powerful than their voice. You ever look at some of these people and wonder, how in the world? How in the world? They're not even likable. Right? How, how in the world did they ever get elected even in the first place? They're, they're not good looking. They're not likable. In, in fact, they're just downright nasty. How in the world did they get elected? If you don't think that there's something behind them, you're fooling yourself. It is that effort behind them that is more to the root of what needs to be killed. Let me be clear. Killed in the spirit. I was... was, Got to make myself clear here. Okay. Yes, I know probably three-quarters of our people here own guns, and that is not what I'm saying, to be clear. You guys know that. I just wanted the FBI to know that. But the truth is that there are demonic spirits in control that have no more authority to be in control. We talked last week about about one that was sent to the abyss and it's been it had been a long time in coming. And and I'm telling you what, the enemy's camp is in disarray. In absolute disarray. They they are confused, they're upset, they don't know, you know, when when the head is cut off, it's like, what do you do? You ever, you ever watch a chicken with their head cut off and they just run around? I've seen that. You, you know, when, when I was about five years old, my dad, he killed this rattler. And the rattler was, oh, I don't know, it, it had to be six feet long at least. It was, it was as tall as my dad. And it was in our house next door. The house next door, we were part of a duplex in 29 Palms, California, Right and and like the nearest neighbor to that was miles away. It's like two people right next to each other and nothing else around. And the lady comes running over, freaking out because there was a rattlesnake in in her baby's room. And so my dad goes over there and I, I think they got the baby. I can't remember that, but he he somehow gets the snake out. Don't even ask me how. And my dad, being the cowboy that he was, and I love it. He, he has this 44 Magnum that, that looks like a Clint Eastwood thing. Right? So he straps it on. He's, you know, he's got these boots on. He walks over there. He gets this snake out, and he blows the head off. And then he buries the head because the head can still bite you. Right? And then I'm sitting there on the porch, sitting next to my dad, and I'm watching this snake, and it's going all over the place with no head aimlessly, just hitting into things, but it didn't stop moving. That's what's going on in the spirit realm right now. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. The people that are driven by these demonic spirits are just as confused. That's why some of the weirdest things are coming out of their mouths. And and by the way, it's going to get worse. 
It's going to get worse. Listen to what Biden says over the next 30 days or whatever. Listen to what some of these people say over the next 30 days. It's going to be worse. They're going to literally begin revealing their plan. Why? Because the spirits behind them are thinking, but you told me to do this. Blah, 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 blah. Talk, 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 talk. I don't know what I'm saying. I have no more, no more instruction. But uh, okay, I know I hate, so I'm going to spew the hatred. I know I do this, I'm going to spew this. There is no more strategy from the enemy. Doesn't mean that the battle's not there. Because there's a lot of cleanup to be done. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ, through His bride, will step into the leadership of this country and of every other country on the globe. He will rule through His bride like He always wanted to do with Israel. Literally to make them jealous. He's going to show them what He wanted in that faith. Now, the truth of it is, <laughs> I, I don't know what that looks like. None of us do, because he said, I'm doing a new thing. How do you quantify a new thing? How do you expect a new thing? The only way you could expect a new thing is expect it to not be like the old thing. So that's literally what we do. And, and, and then our mind starts to explode with possibilities. Will it look like this? Will it look like that? And the whole time our mind is just churning, you've got people, bless their soul, that want to bring this in a realm of controlled by man. Well, here's really what's going on, and here's how this is happening, and this is what's happening, and this is how it's going to come, and, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And some of those things may be factually true. But none of them give the glory to where the glory is supposed to be and will be. And that's Jesus Christ. What is about to happen in our nation, what is about to happen throughout the world, there will be no no possibility of saying that it was any one person. It will only be through God is what, what is coming. And so, so as we think of all these possibilities, he tells us to just abide. Just abide. When, when we're not hearing from you, so something's about to happen, and what is, what is going on, and I'm, I'm, you know, the expectation of all these promises and everything else, and, and he just sits us down and he said, just abide. Just abide in my love. And and I'm going to close with this, but I I want you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 7, says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By the way, that, that is not a license to, you know, I really wanted that Ferrari. So, you know, how about that Ferrari, Lord? If we're abiding in Him, 
That means our relationship is intertwined with his heart. And, and our seeking of him means our seeking of what he wants, what he knows that is best. And, okay, if it's best for you to have a Ferrari, then he'll place it on your heart. <laughs> Maybe bring it to your, your driveway. But, the, yeah. but the, the bottom line is the abiding in him, the prize is not what he gives us in things. The prize of abiding is him. It's the peace of him, the joy of him, the love of him. It's that sweet spot in relationship where turmoil can be swirling all around you and you're at peace. I want to tell you about somebody. There's this girl in Nigeria. Her name's Leah. How many, I know some of the Nigerian people that have been over there know that. How many know who I'm talking about when I say Leah? Is it just just a couple of us? Okay. Yeah, I know we talked about it with the court team the other night. But Leah is the same age as my youngest daughter or was the same age as my youngest daughter, 14 years old. And she lived in a village with her parents and her younger brother. And they live in the northeast of Nigeria, which is a difficult area at best. And we all know about the 300 girls that were abducted, right, and, and taken, and it took a long time to facilitate that and getting, getting them back and all that. And, and there were those things happening. There were rumors and everything else. They had to live with this stuff. Well, one day, Boko Haram comes to her village and goes after the girls. She was at a girls' school where uh, it was like an on-campus school where they sleep there, they live there, right? And they come in and all the girls scatter because they... It, it, I read, I just finished her book last night and, and, and they could hear this, what they thought was gunshot in the distance and they're like, you know, alerted to it and then it got closer and they knew so they all start to scatter well, this is a predominantly Muslim area up where she is. In fact, of the entire school, there were only 20 kids, 20 girls that were Christians that knew the Lord as Savior. And they would have, they were allowed to, even though they were teased, they were treated badly, even, even amongst the other, the other Muslims there. But all of them were afraid of Boko Haram. So when they came in, all the girls scattered and, and the, the militants came in and they were gathering up these girls, right? And, and I read story after story of other Christian girls of those 20 that were miraculously saved. There's this one girl who was one of Leah's best friends and, and, and she, she starts running out and this guy who was dressed in a military uh, um, uniform, not Boko Haram, 
said, oh, no, come this way, and I will say, well, it turns out he was part of them and got a lot of other girls that way. But she said, she said a voice told me to go be, hide behind the tree, and, and so she went and hid behind the tree. And when he wasn't looking, she just ran and actually fell into a ditch. Didn't even know the ditch was there, fell into a ditch, somewhat tall grass, and she, she just stayed quiet. And then when she... When it got light in the morning, she kind of, you know, she knew they were gone or didn't hear the rustling around anymore, kind of got up and, and just feet from her was another one of her Christian friends. All these miraculous things of how the Christian, you know, how the, some of these girls were saved. But Leah was gone. And Leah was the strongest Christian among them. In fact, it turned out 110 girls were taken that day. 30 days later, well, five of them died in the process because they were so packed into these vans that five of the girls got crushed and suffocated because they were just thrown on top of each other. But of those five, so that means there were 105 live ones that were taken 104 of them were returned. Leah was the only one that did not return. Turns out she was the only... Their target was to get all 20 Christian girls. She was the only Christian girl that they got. In fact, that's the piece that her mother finds solace in, is that there was a reason God allowed this to happen. Because when they asked the girls... To do the prayers, you know, the whatever prayers they do three times a day. All the girls were doing it, and Leah just sat off on the edge. And she prayed on her own. And so the, the captors noticed this. And, and before they could even ask her who she worships, as they're walking over, and this was, this was something I read that was a, 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 seen from one of the Muslim girls saying this. She said before they could even get over to her, she raised her hand and said, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Fourteen years old. Fourteen. Facing what could be immediate death. She said, I'm not about... She had told this to the Christian group the night before, the night before they had Bible study, and she said, are you ready to die for Jesus Christ? And so her faith became manifest the next day when she was taken. Leah's still alive. It's been five years. She is still the only one not returned. Michael and I got to meet the lady who took up this fight for her. They've had all kinds of politicians make speeches for her. All the way up to, I believe, Mike Pence did, right? I, I know, I know uh, in the back of the book it said, I believe Marco Rubio did, Ted Cruz did. Uh, I think Mike Pence did as well. All these people that give these speeches, and yet she is still in captivity. 
She has two children now. Forced children out of rape. And yet she's still in captivity. And the thing that hits me so hard, I was praying for her last night, thinking this girl knows in whom she believes. It's so hard to think from our standpoint that here in America we would have to face that. But how would you react if you did? You can't be on this battlefield if you don't know the answer to that question. You'll be vulnerable to the enemy. The truth is, our reality is not here. Our life is not here. Our warfare is here, but not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Her hope is in Jesus Christ. Even now, even now, I'll bet anything, and nobody's talked to her, so you know we, we don't know, but I'll bet, we do know she's alive, but I'll bet you anything, it has not hurt her hope. Her hope for even freedom. If God has called this nation to be for Him, and to be free. It has to be the same way that this nation started in the beginning. And that is with people that believed no matter what, no matter what the cost was, no matter what the burden was. They wanted God's will more than anything else in this nation. Didn't take that many of them then. It's not going to take that many of them now. God is about to change this nation. He's about to change this world. And how he does it, we don't know. But what we do know is it will blow our minds. He has said it. Trust in it. Trust in it. Abide in him. Abide in him. Focus on Him. Continue to build relationship with Him because that is where your strength is and that is where the power of the Holy Spirit will be made manifest against His enemies. We're not going to get this nation back because we voted the others out. We're getting this nation back because God is going to clean out the demonic spirit all over this nation. And when that happens, there's going to be a freedom even to those who are in captivity right now and don't know it. So abide in Him. Before we close, um, you know, when we think about the word that he was saying at the very beginning, if faith really is the most precious commodity, if it really is what pleases God, then wouldn't it make sense that learning to believe him and pour into trusting him with it, every and everything we go through, wouldn't that be 
what will please him the most. Um, it's, I haven't yet read that book about Leah, but I have read uh, about and watched videos and heard many um, speeches that Corey Ten Boom has given. And her um, just harrowing time of being held captive um, as a Jew in the, the horrible, horrible time of what we know so many went through and the loss of her sister Betsy. And, and it will really give you perspective and context to your trials. But something that was interesting, Holy Spirit just said to me back there was, do you not know that what I'm taking you through is what I have called you to go through? See, it depends on the lens with which we see our trials. If everything is about building faith, then whatever we're going through that is the difficult, that is the, um, the test of our faith to agree with the enemy saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, and instead choosing to say, I can, that, that's what God will use to, to build our faith. And, and different ones of us have different types of um, things we'll go through in training to build our faith. If that is the most precious thing, then he will use whatever he chooses. And it doesn't mean that what comes against us isn't theft of the enemy. I was saying that to the ladies this morning. It, it is the theft of the enemy. But as a righteous judge, our love for Jesus, even upon my salvation at 11 years old, sitting on the ground behind our garage um, in the driveway at my, my little house in Minnesota, um, after hearing a message on hell, I remember just thinking, because I thought, I thought I'd accepted the Lord when I was five, and I thought, you know, I just want to be sure, because I don't want to go to this place. And that day, I remember, was such a, as I now understand it, a declaration of my faith that I want Jesus. I want heaven. I want, I want to be going in the right direction. And the enemy had a right to test that. With that resolve, with that, um, that choice. And through that testing, there were many, many things that I, I went through, you went through, and we all go through when we have these decisions for the Lord. And, you know, as our faith grows, I look back and I'm thankful for all of them. But for most of my life, it was a, why, Lord? Why am I going through this? Why do I have to deal with this? Why does this always happen? And when you are only approaching God and trying to be faithful in your prayer life for the, and, and the focus is on the outcome of the answered prayer so that you can find relief or you can find it a little bit easier, or you can find breakthrough. Those are all good things. We want relief. We want breakthrough. But if what's precious to him is our faith, then whatever we're dealing with, what an opportunity to believe him in the midst of it. For what I am believing him for in the breakdown of my own health and body and issues and struggles and challenges even relationally with what this line in the sand has produced in some relationships... What I am believing him for in that pain, in that limitation, living in a kingdom reality without limitations during the experience of the limitation, that's the faith that pleases him. 
That's what I have the opportunity to pour out to believe him. It is, as the Apostle Paul said, it's in my greatest weakness, I have the greatest strength. Why? Because it's less of me. It's less of this vapor of a moment here, and it's all him. And so he's, I still want victory. I still, and I believe he wants the healing for me, but it's like, but he didn't say that achieving healing is what's precious to him. It'll be an outcome of the manifestation of his glory, his sovereign timing, um, his blessings poured out, his spirit being made manifest on the earth. Those will be outcomes. But if what pleases him is what we believe him for, then we are undeterred. We, we can walk in a place of the fullness of the kingdom of God that is at hand, even waiting on the manifestation in this human realm of certain things. That is that interesting place of walking by faith and not by sight. I don't know about you, but it's pretty hard to walk blind. And yet that's the essence of faith. He takes the, the sight is gone. The possibility, the pathway to a human outcome is just not where we, we just don't see it. But our faith calls forth what is not as though it were it is an amazing thing and i think that's what he's doing in all of us and what i have seen in the timing of things yes he is waiting for an army to rise up his timing has many many tentacles many many moving parts that are sovereign only to him because he you know time is a dimension with which we live under we live within God lives outside of time. So there are things happening all at the same time because time doesn't constrict him whatsoever. And yet we are, he's waiting for us to believe, but he's also, um, he's beginning to show his glory with a people who will just say, it's mine. It's mine right now. I'm just going to walk in all that you've said that is mine, um, whether I experience it in this realm or not, really is irrelevant. And I don't mean to diminish the fact that it's going to manifest in this realm. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see healing. But since it's already been given to us, you know, if you notice the, way, the wording of Scripture, it messes with your head. It's already ours. So if it's already mine, I better start operating like it's already mine. And yet every day, it's like it's a challenge to get through the day. And, Lord, how am I going to do this? I, um, I get to see his glory every time I'll step in what I know in my humanity to be an impossible. And sometimes, sometimes I feel like I need to express that because sometimes by the time you see it, you just see the humanity side that seems possible. Well, Alexis does that, and she does that, and she did that, and she had the capacity to do that. You have no idea that I had zero capacity. Or, or that five minutes before I got up and did it, I was laid out, felt like I couldn't move. You know, there, only you know the impossibilities that when you step in, and whatever they may be, and I'm not talking about times that God doesn't have us rest and that type of thing. I'm not talking about trying to be a super person, superwoman or superman. I'm talking about walking, hearing his voice, and then putting action to what you believe him for in obedience, and then watching what will come from that. That is how the Apostle Paul lived. I don't understand 
how he could be beaten. He was stoned to death outside of the city walls, got up in the midst of that, to to everyone's shock, went back into the same city and started preaching again. He was considered dead at that moment, having been stoned to death. I mean, there are just, there's just case after case where he defied human reality and walked in the kingdom. And so whether we have difficult times, because we do, we have some difficult things, difficult times coming, he's, he's wanting us to be ready to, to carry a manifestation of who he is. And what that's going to look like isn't necessarily perfection. I think there is a glorification aspect to what is going to be seen in the sons of God being revealed to the earth. All creation is groaning to see who that is. But it will also be seen in the capacity to do what could not otherwise be done apart from literally God, that it makes no sense whatsoever. And, and that will come through healing too. But um, start this moment, even sitting in your chair right now with whatever tiredness is setting in, growling stomachs are setting in, discomfort, and, and start to say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Not how do I feel Not, Lord, help me to do X, Y, Z, but what do you have for me? And then help me to believe that you will not, or that that you will freely give me all things to do what you're telling me to do, to do what you have for me, because you didn't withhold your own son. And watch the the flip in the paradigm of, of what you'll begin to do. And by the way, he bottles every tear. Doesn't mean you're not crying it out sometimes with him. And saying, Lord, how is this possible? How? You know, I do feel like the man that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, we have those moments. Um, but he wants to show, he'll, he'll encourage you in your own personal life more than you could ever imagine. When you're willing to step, when there's no, there's no footing under your ground, there's nothing under your foot to step onto. It is really and truly stepping onto the water. And he will, don't be surprised, he's going to ask you to step on water. If he asked Peter to do it, he'll ask you to do something that's like, the Lord's not asking me to do that. That's just not what's done. That's not, that's not where I feel like I'm, I'm valued and I, I don't feel so secure. I don't have my footing in this area. Hello. Just like Peter. He had no footing. He had no sense of himself. And it was only when he looked around and quickly surmised what was around him that he fell. As long as his eyes were only on Jesus. He was defying all logic of humanity. And, and we know that story, and we know that we know that we know it. But I don't know that we apply it to our days, to, to obedience, to our, our focus, to what's really important, and then to spending the faith that's so precious to the Lord. So um, stories like what Leah's going through, what Corey Ten Boom went through, what many others, um, the Christians tortured for Christ is another uh, story, amazing stories that really give perspective to some of the things that we go through. And they always encourage me. And so whatever you're dealing with, remember, God has called you to believe for everything he wants to do in you and through you and for you. In the midst of that, you are called to go through that. That it is all Romans 8.28 is no small thing. He is good, and he is working something good in whatever challenging situation it is. I don't care if it's relational, financial, 
physical, emotional, mental torment, whatever you're going through, he is using it to build your faith because that's the most precious. And so in a, in, a, in a weird way, that's why the enemy loses every time. As long as you'll just trust God through it, it's just a colossal loss for the enemy. And it will change your prayer life. Uh, we said that, which is the last thing I'll say. Prayer, yes, prayer changes things. But prayer changes you. It changes me. I'm compelled to pray. If you don't pray the right way, you will burn out so quickly on prayer. The thought of getting on, a, on another prayer call, you just as soon, I don't even know, um, guys who hate to shop, you just as soon go to the mall and, and look at, you know, 27 different styles of black shoes until you just want to go crazy. No, prayer, there ought to be uh, something's missing until I've gone before the Lord. And I'm not talking about just the designated times. We ought to be in constant communication with the Lord. But I'm drawn to prayer. I'm drawn to corporate prayer. I'm drawn to every opportunity to pray. And many of you are. Whether your schedule allows you to get on that call, I know. It isn't just about the call. But prayer is is what transforms us. It's not just about, well, is there, are there really dire requests this week? Because I'm super busy. But, you know, I'll get on if we need to really pray about something important. No. <laughs> it's about changing yourself. And uh, so I just can't say enough about these prayer calls. Man, join. Join the prayer calls. Get into the presence of the Lord. Listen and, and cut away from the entanglements of this world. Let God transform you. Believe him for everything that, um, that he's calling you through. And um, don't let it just be these extreme stories where we get to hear about faith. And to me, um, you know, yes, that terrible, terrible thing happened to Leah, and God's going to deliver her. But a lot of you in this room have some terrible things you have gone through and are going through. So let the outcome be the best faith story ever. You know, will it be the reason you no longer serve God? Or will it be the reason that you trusted God more than you ever, 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 ever could have? Because you had to fight through a situation of impossibility. That's what our trials ought to represent. Is that we just love him more. He's more to us than ever before. I know. I know that Jesus is more to Leah now. Than ever before. Because she gets up every day and says, how can I exist? Like Greg said, how? The hope. Do you know how easy it is? I mean, people have a moment of... of Something not going their way and they need to go into a safe space because they've lost all their hope? I mean, come on. It's like there's just so much when you get to know Jesus. And so see your trials as an opportunity to just crush the enemy's head. Because it's like, you know what? Yeah, bring it. Because God is my God. He will deliver me. He is my Savior. From him comes my help. He is my source. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for how great and mighty you are. Thank you for your love, your kindness, your mercy, God. Thank you that you bottle every tear. You care. You care about a, a, a paper cut with the, the, the sharp pain that that can cause all the way down to a, a debilitating um, chronic issue of something that feels like it paralyzes us. God, you care about every need, but you tell us, in Matthew 6, so clearly, you already know what we have need of. You already know. And you say, seek first the kingdom, your righteousness. And, and you'll add everything because you already know our needs. And you don't despise our, our requests. But you don't want those, those 
need-focused requests to be our, our focus and to be high on the list. You just want our love for you to be why we come before you. You tore the, the veil between us. You tore down this wall of hostility because of the cross and because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you. Help us to enter boldly before your throne, knowing that we will obtain mercy and grace to find help every time in our need. God, help us to believe you for who you are, that, that what your word says is true in Jeremiah 33, 3, that when we call upon you, you will show us great and mighty things that we don't know. You are now, by our faith, by our faith stance, you are literally showing us things we don't see. That sounds like a, an oxymoron. You're showing us what we don't see, God, because you've told us to look not at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Because what is seen is temporal, and what is not seen is eternal. It is kingdom. It is where you are. Oh, God, I know you're looking for true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. God, let us be that people. Let us be just responding to every training, every test, every quiz, every, uh, everything we have to go through so that, so that we're prepared, standing on such a solid foundation that when your spirit is poured out, it won't completely annihilate us because we just weren't ready for the weight of it, but that it'll further establish us because we know him, that I may know him. Oh, God, we want the mind of you. We want to know you and the power of your resurrection. How do we want to know? But we also then sometimes share in the fellowship of your suffering. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you made a way for us to escape every temptation, every temptation to be put under by life's challenges. We always have a way to escape because of you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, don't let us be disarmed by the barking, empty voices of demons that try to get us downcast. But let us be filled with you, filled with your word that is life and truth and our, it's, it's breath to our body. Your word is health to our very bones. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Keep us in a place of worship and awe and wonder at who you are. When we reside in that place, when we are true worshipers, the magnification of who you are diminishes all else. And I know, God, I know we need it. We need it. Like Brooke said at the very beginning of worship, God, we need you. But it's not a desperation from a hopelessness. We just need you because I don't know how to breathe without you. I, 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 the closer you take me to you, I can't bear to have even one moment of, of separation, and not because you ever leave me or forsake me, but because if I give one moment of agreement to this realm or to the things of the enemy, I pull away. And that separation is just so painful. The void of, of not being in constant closeness and union with you is just, it just hurts. Because you've said you want us to be one. That's what the abiding is, as Greg mentioned. 
Oh, God, you are so good. Keep us close to you. We love you, Lord. We, wanna, we want you to say, well done, not because we faithfully did good works. The good works are the outcome of the ultimate desire of why you would give the well done statement over us. And that is what we believe you for, what we trust you for, what our faith is in, which is in you, Lord Jesus. God, just take us higher. Take us higher in that place. We love you, God. We love you. We worship you. And we lift up and exalt the name of Jesus, name above all names today. Amen.